All right, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. We were looking at this morning. Last week, we focused on spiritual gifts almost exclusively uh, there, I believe, in verse 11. And this week, we're going to look at the surrounding verses. All right. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Paul says this to the church of Ephesus. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning, an all-powerful and divine word that you give us uh, through your servant Paul. Uh, We've been talking about the church and its pastor, and uh, we're winding down here this week with uh, the church and God, I'm excited this morning just to look at your word and just see what it's all about, Lord, what this church and what doing this with each other here at Sunrise, it's all about. So, uh, Lord, bless these words this morning. May they be from you. Uh, May we hear what you have to say, God, to us. Let us not neglect it. Think it doesn't have to do with us, but all of your word has to do with us. Help us keep that in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um... I want to tell you about the 2.30 principle. Uh, soon after Katie and I were married, I was rushed off to Divinity School and um, started working right away, kind of in the real world. It was my first real taste working in the real world. We were trying to make ends meet, and I started to work as a furniture salesman. It was good, good clean fun, let me tell you. There's nothing like being a furniture salesman. Uh, it's not all it's cracked up to be if you think it's jumping on mattresses all the time. But um, ever since that time, I started to experience what I like to call the 2.30 principle. 2.30 is a brutal time in one's day, right? Uh, still too far away to count the minutes until you're done, until you're off work. Yet the uh, carbs from your lunch are, are plummeting your glucose level to the point where they convert into drool, right? Or, you know, if, if you have a desk job, your standard post sometimes around that, this, this area of time is the uh, one hand on mouse, other hand supporting cheek, right? Like, Please, make it end. Well, <laughs> in addition, 2.30 is a less acceptable time to brew a new pot of coffee, right? You got the morning time. Anything in the morning's good. I mean, people don't start brewing new coffee at 2.30. And then, in, you know, but if you go with the existing, you know, cup of coffee or pot of coffee, it tastes like flavored dirt at that point in the afternoon. So it's a difficult time. Um, 2.30 often leaves one to ponder, what am I doing? What am I doing here? What's all this for? 
Please help me, somebody. Yeah, you wish the fire alarm would go off at that point, or something would happen. Um, <laughs> if you ever watched the movie Office Space, you know what I mean. Once a week, usually around 2.30, I seem to ask myself a similar question. You know, what's, what's this for? What am I doing? Uh, even as God has called me to be a pastor, and even this last week, it seems to always happen once a week without fail. Uh, which means, of course, you'll be forever paranoid if you schedule a meeting with me around 2 o'clock p.m., which I now realize that. But it's only around a desk that happens. It would be bad if you wondered if your pastor's asking himself, what's it all for when you're bearing your soul? Um, <laughs> but during these kind of moments, I, I need something. I need something to keep me going in life, keep me, keep me persevering. Um, I want to tell you a story. I've heard a few different versions of this story. Um, so in the spirit of Disney, I'll just make up my own version, and it'll star Luke Wilson, or Owen Wilson. But anyway, uh, there's this traveler, uh, he was, he heard about this church, this cathedral, being built in Chartres in France, all right? So he went down to go look at it. It was being constructed. It was getting late in the day. I, you know, I'd like to think it was around 2.30 to fit my story, but that would be an editorial edition. And he asked several people who were working on the site, doing the construction, you know, what they were doing, their job was. And the first guy, a stonemaker, growled, can't you see, I'm hewing the stone. A glass blower remarked that he was uh, making, you know, slabs of colored glass for the, uh, you know, for the stained glass windows and whatnot. Uh, a blacksmith pounding out iron replied, I'm earning 100 francs a week. That's what I'm doing. Suddenly, the, the, the traveler started to wander inside the cathedral into its, its uh, constructed part of it. And he found this woman who was sweeping up little, little bits of iron, little shards of glass. So he, so he asked her the same question, what she was doing. And when he asked her, she just stopped, leaned on her broom, kind of looked, looked up for a little bit, pondering at the arches. And she said, me? I'm building a cathedral for the glory of God. See, the first two couldn't look beyond their tools. The second couldn't look beyond his wages. But the third person happily worked late into the day because she saw beyond the tools, beyond a paycheck, to a grander, greater goal. When 2.30 strikes in our lives, when the 2.30 principle strikes in our lives, and we're prone to get tired, frustrated, apathetic, right? With our livelihood, with relationships, even with the church. We need to look beyond our present situation, our immediate situation, and recall what it's all for, right? So this morning, there are three greater goals of the church in terms of what it's all for. Three greater goals of the church serving in it with one's gifts and talents. So we're going to look at those this morning. We're going to start, first of all, with the earthly goal, which is a functioning body with functioning parts. We're going to move through this one quickly. But the first goal is kind of what we want to see here on earth happen with the church, kind of a functioning body with functioning parts. Uh, we collectively, as a church, we kind of go through a bar mitzvah together, basically, right? That we, we transition from individual children you know, from childhood to collective manhood, right? And uh, we go through this together, except we don't get to wear the, the yarmulke and all that stuff. But uh, each person, 
is called to do his or her part to serve with your gifts so we grow into this moving and living body, you know, together, working. It's like uh, when I was a kid, one of my favorite cartoons was uh, Voltron, you know, and all these things, but, you know, don't get me sidetracked on that, so I won't, I'm just going to move on. You know what I mean if you've seen it. It's pretty clear from this passage, right? Coming together, moving as one functioning body. Not easy, but that's pretty much what this passage is describing what we're called to do here on earth. But this functioning body with functioning parts points towards, I would argue, a greater, more eternal, more ultimate reality or realities. God is not simply to build, not looking to build uh, cool fellowships that, uh, you know, work well, that look good, and that meet his daily quota. Right? Right, the ultimate goal for all of this, all that we've been talking about the last six weeks, the church, its pastors, using gifts and talents to serve the church, is to get and give a taste of both saving grace and future glory. To get and give a taste of saving grace and future glory. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. When we wonder, and you will, what's the church for? Why should I work to make these relationships? Why should I worry about figuring out and using my gifts to serve others? Here's a worthy and accurate goal to really write down, to jot down this morning and recall in those moments. Again, to get and give a taste of both saving grace and future glory. Well, let's talk about the first one. To get and give a taste of saving grace. I don't want to assume we know what uh, grace is. We hear the word often. I've got a, I've got a, uh, a niece named Grace. Um, verse 7 talks about it pretty explicitly. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what is this grace? Let me give you, before I give you the, my sort of definition, a popular definition is this. Getting what you don't deserve. A lot of people think grace is just getting what you don't deserve and um, but I don't think that gets to the root of grace. Because why would someone give us what we don't deserve? Why would someone give us what we don't deserve? Well, because of love, right? They love us. Which is why the definition of grace I'm using this morning is God's love made active through both an unconditional and undeserved gift. God's love made active through an unconditional, undeserved gift. God loves us deeply and passionately. And grace starts here. All right? He wants to show us that love and does so supremely through Jesus Christ. All right? That act of love is unconditional. It doesn't require a response, but often compels a response of obedience. That's important. God's going to love you no matter what. All right? Not, it's not required. But because he loves us so much and we know that love, we want to respond. We compel with a response. We want to follow you. We want to please you, God. We want to obey you. And so it's unconditional. And the act of love is undeserved as well. We spent most of our lives saying no to God in various ways, shapes, and forms, even if you're a Christian. Unless you, and unless you remember something I don't, from my pre-baby experience, we didn't deserve even birth, right? I mean, I did not do anything to deserve being born. 
Even that act of just living. I mean, it's a sheer act of grace. Undeserved. That's awesome. And it, on the one hand, it kind of gets to our pride, right? We're like, well, come on, you know, I'm, like, I'm a human being. Are you telling me I don't deserve to live? I'm not telling you that. I mean, talk to God about that. I'm just saying, I didn't do anything to deserve to be born, right? And it should make us thankful. But why not, why can't we just say love? We come back to this, why can't I just say, to get a taste of love. We give us a taste of love through using our gifts. Well, love is an attribute of God's very character, all right? First uh, John 4.8 says that God is love. His very person is love, all right? But the manner in which he exhibits that love is grace. In other words, when he acts upon that love, that is grace. Does that make sense? You get the, the, the difference there? All right, and that's important when we talk about spiritual gifts. Because it's a sense in which making love active, right? Showing it to someone. It's grace. Um, some of you may have heard that a, a, a popular golfer this week named uh, Tiger Woods uh, made a public apology for uh, some transgressions he committed. And in this statement, uh, which is <laughs> more, more watched than the Super Bowl, um, he made a comment that reveals something, I think, about us as human beings. He said this, um, as Elon, that's his wife, as Elon pointed out to me, my real apology to her will not come in the form of words. It will come from my behavior, i.e. my actions. You guys remember this? Did you guys listen to the speech this week? Okay. Now, God is perfect and never needs to apologize for anything, but he knows the human heart. In his infinite wisdom, he didn't stay in heaven just issuing proclamations of love or, you know, poems of affection, although he did do that as well. But he showed his love by his actions, right? He knew that we want to see that. We need that. Jesus, God's son, came down, right, and gave us more than words. He gave us his love made active. Grace. So, as we talk about this, let's look at the passage here. One, grace is not merely equivalent to salvation. Talking here more about grace. It says this in verse 7, we, we see grace is given to each one of us. Here, grace is a spiritual gift with which to grace or bless other people. That's what Paul's talking about. Alright, so it's not just salvation. All right, grace can also be used in different ways that aren't salvation necessarily. For instance, grace can strengthen our hearts to obey. Hebrews 13.9. Grace can help us persevere living holy lives. James 4, 4 through 6. Grace can even be, come in the form of God's word, which is a gift to help build our, our faith. Acts 20.28. All right, so grace can be used in different ways that aren't necessarily just salvation. Someone's often used. But, having said that, grace is always based on and stems from Christ's saving work on the cross. All right? So it's not always salvation per se, but every work of grace, spiritual gifts, God's word, that divine strength he chooses to give us to carry on, happens because Jesus died for us. Look at it here in verse 7b. Second half of verse 7, he says, uh, according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's what he's talking about with Christ's gift. Christ's gift of salvation. His work on the cross. 
And basically in verses 8 through 10, we get the gospel in three verses. All right? Read those with me if you would. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. All right? Here we get Paul is quoting uh, Psalm 68:18, basically saying that Christ is a holy and gracious king. All right? And it starts with the exaltation of Jesus. That's what the gospel starts with. God is great. He is holy. He is perfect. Jesus is exalted on high. Okay? So that's the first part of it. Second part of it is the incarnation of Jesus. That Christ becomes a man. That the anointed one, God, becomes a man. Verse 9. In saying he ascended, meaning lifted up, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? In other words, Christ inhabits the flesh and comes down to the earth to live a perfect life so that he could die as our perfect substitute. Christ did a tag team for us, took us out of the ring to die for us as a perfect substitute. But it didn't stop there. Continue with the resurrection. We see that in verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He ascended to display his power over death and to fill and rule all things. You see, the point here being that Paul is very purposeful in putting the gospel right here. Three verses. Because when he talks about grace, when he talks about a spiritual gift, he's saying it all comes back to what Jesus did on the cross. It points to or gives us a taste of saving grace. That's what a gift is spiritual gift does. Look at what Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 says, if you would. Um, this great salvation, this was been talking about before, verse 3, this great salvation was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. In other words, some of the apostles, people who were around Jesus. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, what bears witness? What bears witness to Christ's saving work? Spiritual gifts. I mean, even, even various miracles, signs, and wonders, those are also contained within the spiritual gifts. Healing and things like that. They attest, they point back to, they testify to Jesus' work for us on the cross. Using your spiritual gifts to serve others gives others a taste, a vivid reminder of Jesus' saving work. Well, uh, the future, I've been hearing some children rustling around. I feel like children are always climbing in these rafters somewhere. Someone's going to swoop down and take me out. Um, but the future of our children's ministry is in good hands. Um, I want to assure you that uh, Susan, who's our children's ministry director, uh, had asked me recently to give her some input regarding curriculum, what our kids are going to look at and activities and things like that. And, I, and I, she gave this to me at first, you know, <laughs> I was like, huh, no, this looks good. Then I was like, you know, this is a big decision. This is our, this is our kids. This is my kids. My kids are in children's ministry. And so I started laboring over the decision and various options and what was going to be taught, um, you know, like, like a pastor would. But you know, you can even see it in my face that that's what you want your past teaching pastor to do is just make behind-the-scenes decisions. You don't actually want him on the front lines of children's ministry. Otherwise, he's going to get so caught up in beliefs and doctrine, he'll be saying things like, well, 
you know, these eschatological realities uh, are very important when you're talking about a post-lapsarian world. You know, while little Timmy's saying, I just want my apple juice, please. You know, and, <laughs> and I don't know where that is. So, but I, I do have, though, a, a desire for our children to read, to access the Bible in such a way that they see, they see all of God's Word. Even if they don't know all of God's Word, but they see the Bible pointing to Jesus and all of it. And that's my hope, children's ministry. And, and uh, so we got together, uh, Barb Wilson, one of our children's workers and teachers, uh, Susan and I uh, kind of got together. We were pouring over different curriculums, different options we could use. And I expressed this desire I just mentioned and how we've seen God use this little Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's really awesome. We're going to be ordering some. They suggested uh, then, hey, let's just use that. And then we'll build our curriculum and our activities, our questions, our games, indeed our very children's ministry around this. And I just kind of stopped and I was like, man, are you? Well, first I asked if they just kind of lost their minds. It's like, that is a lot of work. Guys, I mean, are, are you sure? I mean, that would really be difficult. A lot of time and energy. And, but they just continue to speak to each other with more and more passion and joy about it and enthusiasm. And, and I realized, you know what? They're just using their spiritual gifts to serve our church. Barb, has, has a, has a, I mean, she's a teacher, has a gift of teaching. Susan, that's a strong gift of administration. They're using their gifts to serve our church, our children. And so I, I, I just stomped them, and I asked if we could just pray. I did, and I, I just gave thanksgiving to God as he sacrificially chose to go the extra mile and ask for nothing in return. They didn't ask me to do anything or blah, blah, blah. They just did it. You see that? Sacrifice. Undeserved. Unconditional. And I got a taste of Jesus' saving grace from it. Maybe thank Jesus. You know? Well, so, we also get a taste of future glory. We get and give a taste of future glory. We talk about looking backwards to Jesus' saving grace, looking forward. Spiritual gifts do that as well. To future glory, being with God forever in his presence. We see Paul repeat three major words in this passage, or three kind of pairs of words, word pairs, if you will. And anytime you read God's word, and you see words repeated, you know, over and over, uh, particularly if they're major uh, nouns or verbs, take note, grab a pencil, mark up your Bible, because that means something. That's, that's not accidental. It's very purposeful. So, for instance, this book, the book of Ephesians, it's pretty cool because if you read the whole thing, you'll see a word appear at very important moments called walk. All right? Because much of the book of Ephesians is about one long path. It's almost the image of one long path. And you can either walk you know, the path of, of sin and disobedience, following the God of this world, it says in Ephesians 2, or you can turn around, walk towards God and His grace and the path of obedience and and. That's how Ephesians imagines, kind of envisions uh, following Christ. So, um, you got that word walk. If you read the Gospel of Mark, you'll often see that these two words immediately and at once are often repeated. Why? Because Mark is a fast-paced Gospel that, that focuses on Jesus' actions. 
and his ministry towards others less than his words. All right, so you see these kinds of things when you read the Bible, and make sure you take note. Look, look for times you see words repeated. Well, anyway, there are three words in this passage that are repeated. The important parts here. Uh, build, grow, and fill. Build, grow, and fill. All right? So we're going to look at those. Build, grow, fill. I'm going to use that today. I don't think that's sign language, but uh, it's just something I made up. So first of all, build. All right? Read with me in verses 11 through 12. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Gifts are demonstrated toward you to equip you to ministers to others with your gift. It's confusing. I'll, I'll, I'll clarify in a minute. But And that builds up the body, and the body is built up in order to strengthen you to use your gifts again. <laughs> so this is how it's supposed to work. You serve me with your gifts to build me and my gift, which I then use to turn around and build up you and your gifts so that we are constantly strengthening and building one another. That's the idea here. Okay? And that's why you know, Paul says in verse, in verse 16, you know, but ultimately, this body, it builds itself up in love. There's that word build again. Paul is saying, I love you. I want to add more to your life. And he actually says this in the book of Romans. He tells the church at Rome, I long to see you. That would mean I love you, right? Generally, you think that's what it means. I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Right? So the idea is, I love you by using my gift. Uh, you love me by using the gift, and, and we build each other up in that way. And the church, the church is, a, in this way, a building that constantly is having additions built onto itself, right? There's a new green room. There's a new porch. Here's a new addition on the third floor. And that's what the church is, through using our gifts to serve one another. So the church grows upwards, which leads us to our next word, grow. We see it in verse 16. Makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. We see it in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The idea here is that in both cases, in using our gifts, we grow up into our head, which is Christ. And by the way, these are speaking gifts. So when you hear this thing, speaking the truth in love, this is kind of an aside. We often think of that in terms of confronting each other, confronting people in love, but really has a broader sense of speaking with their speaking spiritual gifts, like apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, we saw in verse 11. Using those gifts to speak truth to one another. We grow upward into the head, which is Christ. That's the key part here. When I was a kid, uh, I loved basketball, I still do, especially as a kid though, and I thought in my head I could take on guys uh, you know, who are one to two feet taller than me. I was kind of short and also just played with some older guys. So I had a big head, right, thinking I could do this. And it took me a long time before my body actually caught up with my head. Um, we have a big, grand head in Christ, right? And a big, grand picture of his church, but our body still trying to catch up. But we're growing upwards. That's what's important. Does that make sense? Last word here. So we, we build, 
We grow and we fill. That's what the church does. Fill, verse 10 and 13. So it begins, the church begins to fill the atmosphere. Not just our land, not just our culture, not just this island, but our world, indeed the very cosmos. That sounds pretty grand, huh? I mean, the universe. All right? Verse 10 says that he might fill all things. He rises from the dead that he might fill all things. And as he does so, we head towards the fullness of Christ. See that in verse 13. So as we are are built and we grow, we have this privilege of being God's visual representation on earth of him filling all things. He fills the entire universe. The way that looks in our world is the church. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Yes, us. Just us here at sunrise. A relatively small group of people. We get to be a part of that. Here's a picture. Let me give you, well, first of all, let me uh, tell you this quote by a, a smart commentator named Peter O'Brien I read this week. He said, the church is the means by which the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed to the universe. That's pretty sweet. It's pretty awesome. Let me give you a picture of the church in future glory. Give you a picture of this so we know what we're aiming towards. Revelation 7, 9 through 12 says this. After this, this is the Apostle John uh, having this vision about um, basically everyone being with Christ, the end of the world. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We won't see the filling out of the multitude the way John describes here. Uh, not, not in these bodies. We will get to, if you believe in Jesus. But through our gifts and the use of our gifts, we give people a taste of perfect worship of him and with him. And I mean perfect in delight, perfect in freedom, perfect in joy. People get a taste of that glory with him. And if you want proof, let me, let me turn with me real briefly to 1 Corinthians 13, 8, and 9. You can look it in your Bibles. You can look it up here. There's a famous passage. Paul says, love never ends. As for prophecies, which is a spiritual gift. So he's talking about spiritual gifts here. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, like a word of knowledge or the gift of knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. These gifts will pass away. Why? Because they were hints of perfection found in eternal life with Jesus. Perfection found in eternal life with Jesus. But I don't want us to miss the implication here. If these things were hints, these things were partial, 
They are at least that now. They are hints now. Right? Before we get to the perfect. Before we get to be with Jesus. They are hints now. They are tastes of heaven. And nothing short of that. And this makes sense, right? These aren't just hobbies. These aren't just things we do. These are divine spiritual gifts we're talking about here. Why would they give us tastes of heaven? Commenting on these verses in Ephesians 4, uh, a New Testament scholar, all-around really smart dude, uh, named F.F. F. Bruce, said this. And I'm going to summarize this at the end. But um, he said, When the goal is ultimately reached, and the body of Christ has grown up sufficiently to match the head himself, then will be seen the full-grown man, which is Christ together with his members. That spectacle will not fully appear until the day when they are glorified together with him. But the expectation of that day will act as a powerful incentive to spiritual development in the present time. To summarize, in layman speak, uh, in words that make more sense to me, is that we get really close. We get to build, we get to grow, and we get to fill this earth, even the universe. We almost get there by using our gifts, our talents to serve one another in the church. We almost get there as close as we can get to heaven so that people get a taste of it, right? And when people get a taste of it, that's a powerful incentive for their life. That's a powerful incentive for following Jesus. Because they see future glory in your lives as you show them how you love them with your gifts. Does that make sense? We get so close. We give them that taste. At some point, at some point, you'll feel the 230 syndrome rear its ugly head with respect to serving, with respect to loving each other with gifts. You'll walk away from a sermon someday saying, is that preacher out of his gourd? And that will probably be me, that preacher. And, or maybe you'll be ticked off at something he said. Man, that made me mad. You know, maybe you'd rather hit the snooze button occasionally than listen to that annoying t couple talk at church or, or smell the guy who doesn't exercise personal hygiene regularly. And he always seems to sit in front of you. Don't look around right now. <laughs> Times you'll grow weary of what you see as being, what to call church politics. Uh, you'll prefer occasionally a night out at, at Legends or Lone Star instead of going to uh, reconcile with a brother and sister in Christ to, to talk about hard things and see if you can, can get through and reconcile with the other person and, and extend forgiveness. You'll find it easier to leave your home or leave your gift at home where neither it nor you can be heard. Hurt, sorry. Rather than risk using it only to be rejected. Right? There are times you'll question writing an encouraging note to a friend, using your gift of giving to bless a co-worker, or offer your home as hospitality, right? To host a small group. In that moment, I pray, you'll recall what it's all for. What loving the church, acknowledging and listening to pastors, elders, and using your gifts to serve, it has an eternal lasting goal to get and to give a taste of Christ's saving work and future glory. Pray with me, if you would. Lord Jesus, as the worship team comes forward, I just want to thank you because they're about to use their gifts to give us a little taste of 
your saving work and future glory. So what a cool thing, Lord. We're going to put this into practice right away, uh, these six or seven, eight people. But Lord, we can all put this into practice in our lives. We might not know perfectly what our gifts are yet. And, and I, I want to field any questions about that that I can. Maybe in a few weeks we can even have a spiritual gift seminar, Lord. But even just trying them out. Trying them out, to, especially towards each other here in the church and to the local body. God, what an opportunity we have to remind people of your great saving grace. Oh, Lord, and to give people a taste of future glory. What heaven will be like being together, worshiping you in all perfection and freedom and joy. Lord, that's a great vision. It sounds Pollyanna to us at times, Lord, but this is God's word we're talking about here. And Lord, we want to be a part of that. That's Sunrise Community Church. Give us the strength. Give us the grace to work towards it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.